1: this is the royal blue podcast from the liverpool echo giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from goodison park
2: Welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue podcast as we preview um, yet another huge game out they all now forever and this weekend when they host Brentford at um, Goodison Park I'm your host Chris Beasley joined by the Echo's Everton correspondent Joe Thomas uh, the Echo's Matt Jones and regular guest Gavin Buckland uh, if I start with you first Joe you're fresh from Finch Farm um, Yesterday, and uh, we've seen um, got an article coming up from yourself. A uh, pictures of Everton and players training in the snow, but not
1: a hat or snood or gloves in sight. Oh, gloves, plenty of gloves, Chris. Oh, yeah, sorry, including, including just to be clear as well. Sean Deitch is wearing gloves as well. Oh, wow, it's so, gone soft. Uh, but but gloves were never part of the uh part of the ban, as it were.
0: Fair
1: enough. Sean, Sean Deitch's diktat is that uh <laughs> you can only train in what you play in. Um, so no hats and no snoods. Okay. And yeah. The pictures which are from Finch Farm yesterday, the snow was falling down and Hale would show that he was staying true to that. No, no hats and no snoods. Although there were a few players in leggings, and I'm not quite sure where that fits into the. I know, think, like point. you say, they
2: are allowed actually in matches. So.
1: Yeah. So I mean, it, it, there might be a little bit of a grey area that the players have exploited a little bit, but no, it looks like he's made them. He's made them shiver out there at Finch Farm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> perhaps more um, serious point about uh, how did you find uh, the gaffer yesterday? Yeah, not bad, not bad, yeah. to be honest. I think um, he kind of, and he, he's been there, done that, hasn't he, with a lot of this stuff, and particularly in relegation battles. And he he hits a lot of things with a straight bat, and I think that was the case again yesterday. Yeah. You know, obviously, I think from our perspective, you know, from fans and reporters and people have been tracking Everton for years and everything like that, we know tomorrow is a big game, it's an absolutely huge game, especially with the run of fixtures coming up albeit, you know Tottenham looks a little less daunting than it perhaps did a couple of weeks ago but I think they really felt like I think there's a real disappointment that Everton didn't hold on to the win against Forest, because I felt like two points dropped and I think the only way that 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 becomes a positive, the draw becomes okay, is if Everton go and beat Brentford tomorrow, you know, and Mm. that's going to be a very difficult task. Obviously, Deitch doesn't want to get drawn into, this is a must-win game, because to him, everything's a must-win game. He doesn't want to get drawn into a, this might mean more, because his message of players is that every game should mean absolutely everything. So, you don't really kind of, 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 you don't really get behind the surface, I think, of Deitch, unless he's really willing to let you, and at the minute, I don't think he is, and that's probably a good thing, really. I think for, for Everton as a club and the players and the squad, albeit it makes it a little bit harder to interpret for us who whose job it is to write articles and try and work out what is going on beneath the surface. But, you know, he was in relatively decent spirits. He wasn't awkward with us or anything like that. And, um, you know, I think he's I think he's aware that it's, that it's a big game, but I think he sees treating everyone as it comes and like he keeps saying doesn't go over the top when there's a win and as a result you're talking to go over the top when you know get on a massive down when when there isn't one so we saw more of that really more of kind of you know more of the same from Sean Dyche yeah Gav what were your thoughts on what you you heard from um, the Everton manager
2: ahead of this game I know that Joe's done a piece from the breakout section talking about wanting his place to have a a relentless mentality (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
0: I think I mean, are we can obliged to mention Calvert Lewin here or are we just gonna pass on?
2: Well, you can bring I'm sure he was movie. gonna get
0: a mention, you can go first, Engar. No, <laughs> well, no, I mean he gave an update by not really giving an update, I suppose, didn't he really? Um I the the, vi- the, oh, the vibe the what am I doing saying that? The you know, the impression he got was that he he doesn't sound confident that he's going to play. That he's going to be in selection. Also, a bit personally, you reckon, you know, Michelanko as well was not necessarily a given, wasn't it, really? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was. I, I thought we spoke about Stice of the didn't we, About his press conferences. And he, he gave a really yeah. good cre- answer to that question about his Saturday's a must-win game, and he said every game's a must-win game. Yeah. And I, I thought that was a that was a good answer in many different respects. And, and he went on to say about his own career where he, he was admitting that he wasn't the, the best player, but he had to make up for that, you know, sure fall in by being up for it or whatever you would call it. And I think um, you, you saw that in that sort of attitude in his Burnley team. And you'd hopefully that you get that in, in, in his Everton team as well uh, between now and the end of the season. I think it was pointed out that he's still learning about the players, but it was just. I just thought that was an interesting answer in terms of, he, he. I don't think he's going to go out there really for games and just say settle for a point. I think he's going to go out there and, you know, to, trying, to win, trying to win every game. And I thought that was a really, really good answer to a, to a, a cliché question, I suppose. Good. I thought, I thought, he, I thought his press conference was fine. brought up some, some good points, and um, I think he he looked in good spirits. He, he's got it said the other week, has to say he's, he's got the press conference by and large, isn't it? As long as you keep it to, to football, and and he saw that again yesterday. Was, <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was weird. The follow follow a question. Nobody said about he spent time with Thomas Frank. And then listen was the question about what did you talk about football? And he said it wasn't that type of trip, so it's obviously I like you like to think that they've been on the aisle for like together for a couple of days or something, you know.
1: Which <laughs> yeah. you well, could see, how- I've, got the answer. I've got some insight to that if, if, if you want to know oh, what uh, he was doing. Is that in Pit later, is it Joe? No, no, no. This is behind-the-scenes behind the knowledge. It was yeah, um, Sean Dyche and Thomas Frank were invited to watch the Champions League final at the end of last season by uh, by a programme that's basically called Leaders in Football. So, uh, I don't think they were invited as a pair. I think they were both individually invited and turned up at the same event together and eventually ended up watching and having a chat together. So, um, But Dyche is very interested in the sense that and this is different to, say, Frank Lampard, Like when you got Frank Lampard away from the kind of interview scenario, he'd always still you want know, to, you'd still find yourself talking about football. Like he wouldn't go into how's the family getting on and things like that would always remain mm-hmm. about football with Deitch. You almost, it seems that, you know, he's got his public facing work duty on, but the minute that he gets a chance to get out of it, he does. So when you're kind of talking between interviews and things like that, you'll go on to music, you'll go on to other elements of sport or life in general. I think he he really kind of doesn't like the idea of people thinking of him as just only ever living for sport. Which is what a lot of people do. So, um, so when speaking to him about the, this 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 meet up with Thomas Frank, he's actually saying that a lot of their conversation didn't revolve around football and Premier League and what was going on with the different sides. You know, it was actually you know Thomas Frank coming over to the UK, how his family was, how they'd settled down, and things like that. So, actually, a lot more personable than it was the, the football apparently. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, like I was saying last week, they got on the ale together and gone to I don't know. A, you know, a Foo Fighters gig or something. Yeah. <laughs> they, I don't think it was quite like that, but um, but yeah, they they also were just sat around discussing, you know. Yeah,
0: I think he's a Metallica fan, isn't he? i forgive forgiven that to be honest with you, um, but that that is just very interesting insights, isn't it? Really, that you've just given there, and you know, you could just the difference in Lampard and and bice, and that in terms of handling pressure and stuff. That must give you a a better, you know, better protection if you've got that balance right. And I think probably you know what you're talking about there with Frank, it as in Frank Lampard, is you can put you some of that what you're talking about there is I think that that's why you saw at the end of his Everton tenure that he he was beginning to struggle a bit. And I think Dice is a more well balanced round of character, probably. Again, probably because of the different playing today. So That's a really good insight, that. Really disappointed, as you say. It wasn't like a two-day band in Paris.
2: <laughs> but hey-ho, never mind. Yeah. A frank discussion, Gaff. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh. I want to move on to, uh, to Matt, because I know his thoughts on this. I just want to check, gaffer uh, are, are there any um, any snoods or hats in the in the Buckland wardrobe ever come out on match day? Uh, I, mean, on
0: the, on, I played I played on Wednesday night, and that it was a bit cold, um, I did get a bit of stick for wearing sexy bottoms, a snood, a pair of gloves and a hat. <laughs> when. All the other, all the 11, eleven players on the pitch, none of them items were worn. Really? You know, yeah. So, so uh, yeah, I was, I, I stood out like a sore sore thumb. You know, unfortunately.
2: <laughs> oh, man, he's already confessed to being a a fan of uh, of the hat and various other additional garments. Um, matter so what did you what did you make of um, the what what did you take really from um, yesterday's um, press conference with Deutsch? <laughs>
0: Well, I
3: haven't talked about it now. I can't get out of my head this idea of like a, a Daesh and Frank sort of Mortimer and White House gone fishing sort of scenario where, you know, just listen to them chat about all aspects of, of life and stuff like that. I mean, that, that's definitely yeah. something I, I'd love to see. Um, love but to well, season. you know. Yeah. You know, it was quite an interesting press conference because he also said that he's been speaking to Dom about fashion advice as well, hasn't he? Really? It was uh, yeah. just it was sort of interesting. I thought, I thought that like sort of nicely punctured the the tension that's been kind of building a little bit around Carver Lewin. And obviously, there's it's the first question now, and isn't it? And the first thing the yeah. to look for whenever there's a press briefing now, and for him to just sort of talk about that, um, I thought it was fascinating and makes some some interesting, in, You know, the piece the. Joe did last night in regards to Dom is going to have a, a big role in deciding when he comes back which sounds quite obvious at face value doesn't it um, but I think it's and I, I know it's frustrating for everybody that he's not been involved and in, you know this crucial time in, in the campaign when we need the striker more than any other position on the pitch that, that he's not been involved but I kind of get why they're, they're having to take so much time of him and, and manage him and and you know speak to, to Dominic Carver-Lum and about when he feels like he's come back because nobody's going to know that lad's body and, and how he's feeling and whether he feels like he's going to break down better than himself. And, and maybe you know, there has been times over the past year, 18 months or so, you know, listen, this, this isn't having a go with anyone in particular, but I remember the, the game he came back in against Brighton in January 2022 after so long out, And he played 90 minutes that day. And you're thinking, you know, this this is some effort by Don, but is it, is it a bit reckless? And maybe in the past we've kind of rushed them back a little bit too much. And listen, if that means he misses the weekend, then you might get five games out of him, so be it. Um, but I also understand the, the fans' frustration. But I, I thought he addressed that all really well, uh, truth be told, and just kind of you know took some of the tension out of what has quite a a little bit of a you know a divisive not very nice topic online when you read what people have got to say about it Yeah
2: Joe um, one thing you put in your piece was how um, Deitch said that Dominic Calvert-Lewin will have a say in when he returns it's not just going to be like the the club's medical staff or the manager the the, the player himself will um, shape this
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, as Matt alluded to there, you know, no one knows his body better than Dominic Calvert Lewin, and you know if he doesn't feel it, he's a hundred percent, then you know, you imagine that's going to hamper his performances on the pitch and that as well. I think there's a, I think there's probably a sense behind the scenes at Everton that they you know, they know the magnitude of, of Dominic Calvert Lewin's importance to this side. It's a completely different one. And one thing we've seen on the Deitch, I think, is is the fact that this side looks like it would be so much it just looks perfect for for Calvert-Lewin, for you know, a target man to be in yeah. in a midst, you know, to be on the end of it. And, you know, I think that the reality is, what well, we've got about 12 games left now. If everyone can get Dominic Calvert-Lewin to start eight of them, I think they stay up. And that's the battle. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think that they can risk... They, they can't take any risks on this because the chances are they've probably got one shot. They bring him back too early, then he gets injured again, that's another five games... Well, he is, you're not really. You're in the same situation at the end of last season, where you know you're not really giving him. If he does get back, any chance to build up any momentum, any form on top of his fitness. So they, they need to get it right. Um, and and as a result of that, obviously he's going to be part of that. The stats are going to play a big part. You know, Sean Dyche says they're looking at what the data has suggested, what the data has looked like when Dominic Calvillo has been at his fittest and seen how close he is to that. So I mean, you know, I mean. Deitch wasn't very clear really on where Dominic Calvallum was up to. He says he's back on the grass. You can see from the training pitch from this week, he's out there training with the players as well. You know, he's not training separately. So those are all positive signs, but on the other, and, and he kind of didn't rule out the idea that he might be available for this weekend, but that feels like it would be quite an extraordinary leap. I think to have to get there so quickly from where we have been previously. Um, and I you're bearing in mind that Deitch has been there for over a month now it's very rare that he has ruled him out he's always kind of left a little bit of an open door which has left us guessing which might be part of his tactic and the tactic for other sides and their preparations are they going to have to prepare for Calvert-Lewin or not I mean if I'm perfectly honest I would be surprised if we see him before the international break because I just don't see the value in risking him you know he's got absolutely no match fitness whatsoever now so unless yeah, he can't start in the game, even if he's as close as he can be, I don't think he can start in the game against Brentford with no match fitness. So, you know, you then come to, well, can he play 10 minutes at the end or not to build up? I don't know. But you then go away to Stamford Bridge a week later. There's a 16-day break after that. One of the things that that Deitch was making clear to us yesterday in the the bits that weren't recorded for the press conference (laughs) is that time is such a big issue. And it's a recognition that time might have been the issue in the past, that idea of bringing him back too soon. Because, let's face it, for the last 18 months, it's always been vitally important for Everton that he's fit and available because they've always been fighting for results because of the situations they've been in and they've never really had a, a lot of options up there because they haven't recruited particularly well in that department. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if there's any doubt. If you were to leave it until, you know, till Spurs, which is the beginning of April, you effectively give them another three and a half weeks from now to build up and get to everything. And there's 10 games there and I think rather than, say, for instance, risking before in, in the next week and then go, well, if he does pick it up a eagle, he's got another 16 days to get over it. I'd rather just give him the rest of you know, this month, essentially. And hopefully when he comes back, all of a sudden Everton have got, You know, Dominic Calvert Lewin, who is in the best condition he can possibly be. And he's done, you know, on top of getting to fitness, he's done done weeks of additional work to get sharpness and hopefully can carry the club through to the end of May. Because as I say, if he can play eight of those last 10 games, I think Everton stay up.
2: Yeah.
1: Gav, I know we can only speculate
2: when it comes to this, but I just wonder once we get to this stage with Dominic Calvert Lewin. How much of it is a physical issue? and How much is possibly, as the managers alluded to, um, a mental issue? Uh, both, I would say. Um,
0: I think Dominic has been quite candid in the past, hasn't he? Of the, um, you know, how he's, he's felt you know, that this this whole thing mentally has been very it hasn't been the best for him, and and I'd say definitely. Uh and I don't think that would be the case for many players. It is the mental stain, isn't it, of being out for a long, long time affects everybody. And uh I w- I would say both <laughs> whether that affects his recovery, I don't know. I mean I I you know that that different players are di- different different players are, uh, are affected in different ways, you know, people are different. So I I would say both there, Chris, yeah. but to what extent, you don't know. I think I picking up on Joe's points, I just think that hasn't, hasn't helped there's been changes of managers and changes of approaches. I mean, he's had injury problems, I think, probably going back to Ancelotti's days, isn't it, really? Um, and, you know, so you've had Ancelotti, Benitez, Lampard, Dyshaw, with probably, you know, different medical teams, different, as managers with different attitudes towards injured players. And I don't think that's helped either, has it? Um, so that continuity of treatments and 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 rehabilitation has probably been lost, and I think he of all the players is probably the one who suffered from the 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 change, constant changes and manager over the last well two years, isn't it now, and and beyond. So yeah, there's there's lots of things going on there with, with Dom, and you know you've got your deepest sympathy for him because he is. what well, what I think what will get to him is you would think is he's, he's, he is at the peak of his career, isn't he? He should be in theory. Yeah. What was he twenty yeah. six? Um, I think Ivan Tony probably a year later, um, a year older. Sorry, and you think see where Tony is as a as a striker? I know there's some off the pitch issues, but um, Dom should be, you know, in that territory as such. You would say, don't think Tony's a far superior all round striker. And they that, that 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 time is run, time is running out in some respects for his peak years so I think that that will concern him as well. Yeah. So lots of different things are going on. Could, can I just, yeah. just jump in there? Well, Sorry, Chris. I, you
3: know I, I agree with everything Gab said there, but I also think the club have done nothing to help Dominic carver Lewin in, in that sense either, because he's you know I remember saying this when we appointed Dice and how important he was to the idea of. Dice's football working at Everton. And over the years, you know, going back to when he really started hitting form when Carlo came in, since then, Everton have effectively lost important attacking players and not replaced them suitably or not replaced them at all, time after time. So the importance and the pressure on Dominic Carver Lewin, sort of every season, every window has got bigger and bigger. And the players around him and the players that can replace him have either ceased to exist or, or not been good enough. So yeah. you get this external pressure out to the point where every press conference, it's what's going on with Dominic carver and On podcasts like this and, and elsewhere, it's the focus is on Dominic Carver-Lewin constantly. But as if Everton had brought in another centre forward who could suitably replace him in January, we'd probably be sitting here now going, well, Player X has come in, they played six games, how do you reckon they're getting on? How can we get the best out of them? And all these things. But instead, we're still talking about a player who we've all known for the past 18 months, two years, can't stay fit anyway. And, and we're still we're still having these conversations about him. Whereas if Everton had, had, looked, had looked at this properly and done the business properly in January or the summer and thought, right, we're going to play a system that relies on a... A quite unique striker who is rangy, is tall, and he's someone who can hold the ball up. Let's go and get someone in who, who might not be able to do it to that level when Dom's fit, but can do it to, to sort of that level. And they haven't. And, the and, and by, by not replacing Dominic Car- sorry, well, by not bringing in an alternative to Dominic Carb lewin and not replacing those key attacking pieces around them suitably, like Richarlison, like Luca Dean, like Hamas Rodriguez, the list goes on and on and on. We've just heaped so much pressure on this lad. Yeah. And it's, it's, just, it's become blatantly obvious for a long time that they just can't do it anymore. And as a result, there's expectation on him, which there probably shouldn't be. And um, we're getting into situations where he's actually have been rushed back in recent years. And, and I think that, that is a little bit fair on, on Dominic carver
0: as well. But a little bit unfair on Dominic carver as well. Yeah, I think I think yesterday, just to carry on that point, didn't, didn't Dice say at his press conference he'll come back with consultation with the player as well? Yeah, I think. Um, so we said it wouldn't be a club club decision, but your point's well made, Matt, in that I think you talk about John's mental health and morale and 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 it adds that extra layer of pressure, I suppose, doesn't it, on him? That it's always that like when he back, you know, and the unwritten you know, statement there is something that Joe Joe alluded to, isn't it? Is that actually he's vitally important for the last 12 games, isn't it, in terms of our survival? And and I think there's there's lots of reasons um, why that's the case. And yeah, I think it it's that that there's a pressure building to get him back, but that can't be help <laughs> in some respects that can't be helping him as well, Carrie, both physically and mentally. And um yeah, there's been lots of stuff in the past where he's been rushed back too quick. It'd be interesting to see whether he's he, he wanted to play or not. Not that, to be fair. Yeah.
2: Before we move on, this is actually quite timely. Um general point this week um, I was at the the opening of the People's Place on, on Spello Lane the first um, dedicated mental health facility affiliated to a Premier League um, football club and um, I've got an article coming on on that one later from from myself and it's actually going to talk about how um, everyone who, da- who um, bought a copy of um, Everton Tower's Way is actually going to help in terms of the, the building of that and in terms of actually saving lives in Liverpool. So that is a a real big um, plus point. But um, moving on to uh, a different aspect of the club um, off the field, Joe, if I I may, obviously you and I early this morning, we were aware of this um, latest open letter, this time for um, former Everton centre-forward Graham Sharp, who's now on the the board of the Everton directors. And it came from the the fan group NS. N O W, um, series of um, points they wanted to put to to Graham in in terms of what they describe as filling the the power vacuum at the club and various other points which you can see on the article if you go onto the Echo website about how they feel the club should be um, run better. Um, what were your thoughts on on this on this latest open letter towards the Everton hierarchy?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a well written letter and. Yeah, let's let's be honest. Although things have calmed down as such recently, in the sense that you know, we're we're we're, we're kind of just bubbling along as, as as we have the status quo is now a case of there will be a protest before every game, and I think you know the fan groups have made clear their positions. I think it's gone on at the club, and I think the club through various outlets has said what it's willing to say in the forums so it's willing to put them obviously they engaged with the um you know the Everton fan advisory board and put our answers to relation to some of the fan concerns over that how satisfactory they were now that's for individuals to make their mind up you know I, yeah, we've written we've covered this extensively from both sides and I think
2: mm-hmm. you know we've
1: We've we've said that there are still a lot of issues that probably remain unanswered with how things have been handled. Everything from, well, the most obvious one being the transfer window in 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 January, but also around the the wider running of the club and also you know the response to some of the statements they've put out, some of the things that not just the things they've chosen to say, but how they've said them and the things they've chosen not to say. Um, Yeah, we we've we've covered that all, all very. Extensively, I'd, I'd like to think um, that, of course, be willing to listen to anyone that, 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 that differed with that opinion. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it does feel really that we are just kind of a, a bit of an impasse. I mean, since this, you know, since Deitch came in, you know, I think there's been, and I think the fans have done really well to show this, obviously that, that you know, the fans are unhappy with the board. They've you know, shown that they can protest against the board, but support the players within the stadium. Dice had a good atmosphere for every game so far. You know, the the, the fans have at least started the gate every game. You know, given a full back in every home game in particular to, to the players and, and, and the managers. So, but obviously on the other hand, you've got the directors have stayed away. So I kind of we're at that point really where it's almost something's got to give, and it's not clear what it is. One you know, of the directors going to come back if they are when the pros is going to come to stop, well, they're probably not for the time being. So it's interesting moves see who moves first. So I think this is just a continuation of a theme, really. I've seen a lot of open letters from both sides over the course of um, the, these the, these go ongoing. So I thought it was a well-written letter. I think, you know, obviously there's only four people on Evans' board. And, you know, the reality is that I, I don't think there really is a barometer through which you can judge Evans' dealings as a success. At the minute, or over a prolonged period of time, the ground you know, and the way, the way that that's developing is very good, but it can't be used as a shield to protect against everything. Mm-hmm. At The end of the day, if, if the club go down, and there's a very real risk that they go down this season, mm-hmm. if the club go down, well, the stadium becomes a bit of a white elephant? Does it even get completed? Things like that? they'll say, "Oh, there's Plan B's in place, contingency plans, etc." But obviously, a lot of a lot is unknown if Everton go down. And One thing is clear: it would be catastrophic financially. Um, obviously there are only four and I know that Graham Sharp is a non-executive director but he is somebody who's got to say there and you know, I don't think it's unreasonable to ask him to relay the concerns of uh, of supporters and you know, to ask him to be a voice for, for, for change within that obviously people have to take responsibility for the state that Everton are in there aren't many people at the top and all of them have been in and around the top for quite a considerable amount of time so you know I don't think directing open letters to them and asking them to do more is is particularly unreasonable
2: Caty you, you were saying before we went on now uh, you think there's a there's a real positive role that former players can play in in the right way um uh, yeah on the boards board of um football clubs so as someone who remembers um Graham from um, you know his, his glory days yourself um what's your what, how, how the, the position he's hes he saw almost i would say caught in at the moment. Yeah, I mean, you've got to
0: remember that Graham's role, he's, he's technically independent of the club. Um, if you recall when he was appointed, I think he had to give up his his, his roles he had within the club. So he's technically mm. independent, so he's only so much power that he, he has, um, but he probably has no power. Um, he, so he, he can't put a communication out on behalf of the club, he can't speak on behalf of the club He in, in that role. He can only advise the board of directors and and, and and to be fair, as Joe said, it's a well- bit letter, and, that, and that's what the source of the thrust of the letter is, isn't it? It's to say, "Claim, you know, speak with the board about communicating better and and so on." But it, this is not—I've not got a problem with that. Um, whether the board it, the board take on his advice or what who's giving advice to the board is, it, 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 you know, that's another point. But all because all because the board are not communicating in a way that the fans don't agree with. It doesn't actually mean that Graham's not done his job. He could advise them to communicate. The board may just choose not to. Um, so, as a non-executive director, that's what he's there for. And but he can, within that role, he can monitor the performance and, and be critical critical of what they do, um, as well as well as 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 a means of driving improvements. But there is a big distinction between Graham and the other three members of the board. He's not; an, he, he's independent. So there's only so much he can do. But he can do some of the stuff as as that was asked of him in the in the letter. That's what the first thing it's like. The second thing to say is I think it's not it's not unusual for a former player to be on a board of, of a club. I mean, Kenny, Kenny's at Liverpool, isn't he? I mean, remember a lot of was at, at Leeds. And sometimes non-executive appointments are a sort of a way of I wouldn't say putting a celebrity on there, but a well known public face associated with the club there good PR. Um and so, so in that case, it can work. But to me, the problem is, is Graham has been caught up in the, the failings of the board in, in general, hasn't he? What fans feel of the failings of the board. And understandably, he's been caught up in that. And he, he's in an awkward position, I suppose. And in, in, in some respects, he's powerless. He can do everything fans ask of him in a non-executive role, but whether the board take on board, what he's saying, is a, is a, is a different question. What I do know about Graham, I know, I know him limited personally. Christian, you know him far better than me. Yeah. He's pretty forthright in his views, and if he if he wants to pass on a view and criticism, yeah. he will do. Yeah, and um, you know he, he did that as a player. I've argued that Graham would have been a far better player if he'd just shut up on the pitch. To be honest with you, because he never really? stopped moaning, and it's better it's better it's better. Everton games is when he actually did that. Um, he had he had far too much to say for himself on occasion, as he admits himself, but. Mm. As a non-executive director, being forthright and honest is one of the things he needs to be, and he can be that. We don't know what goes on behind closed doors, and um, but unfortunately for him, and sad, quite sadly, as a former player, he is part of this. You know, the feeling against the board, and that's understandable from a fan's perspective. But they do, people need to understand that what his role is and what he can do is only very limited because he is independent of the club. And um, it'd be interesting to see see what happens there.
2: Yeah, Matt, haven't seen the open letter yourself this morning. Um, What do you think? That that, that, is there a solution to this? Is there is there a a, a amicable way out of of it all? I
3: mean, it it doesn't feel like, does it? And you know, you you look at Graham Sharp now, and if if he decided to resign from the board tomorrow and came out and spoke to the fans directly, then I suppose he would be kind of proclaimed a bit of a hero, wouldn't it? So maybe that's sort of the way out for him to, to to come out to this in the most positive way. But just kind of echo what the, the, the lads have both said there in regards to the letter. I think it's it's well written. I think that the concerns put forward in it are, are absolutely fair at this point. Um, I suppose the, the, the one thing that's maybe a bit different about Graham Sharp compared to the other people on the board is that... It was only in January, wasn't it, I think, after the West Ham game that he came out and spoke to a journalist from the Mirror and gave some pretty candid thoughts about, you know, what he thought was going on at the football club. I think he said that the protests had gone too far, which obviously, you know, you know, wound up some supporters, given that the majority of the, the protests have been pretty peaceful. So maybe maybe there's a, a bit of that thinking behind it, that he's, he's come out and spoken to, to journalists before, whereas, you know, everybody else seems to go, Radio silence on the board. For Hamishy, will only do interviews that are sort of club sanctioned and, and with one other journalist on a national yeah. radio station. So I, I don't know if that's sort of behind it as a way of sort of opening up, you know, some more independent communication, you know, in a manner not too dissimilar to what we're seeing across the park this week with one of our colleagues and the owner having yeah. a, Liverpool having a having a chat. So I think it's it's just it just does sort of reach the, the frustration, doesn't it, uh, of people at the moment? Right. And if there's going to be sustain protests that happen before every home game. Then I imagine that there's going to be scrutiny on everybody on the board as well. You know, it's showing that the the people at the football club who are making decisions and having an impact are, are going to be scrutinized. And Graham Shaw is is there at the moment. Um you know I was I wasn't a huge fan of the appointments when it happened to begin with, I think it, it was one that I think should have been accompanied by somebody who's got more experience in football and um, football strategy. And um, I think the fact that Graham Sharp just as came in on his own was a bit of a, you know, it felt like a bit of a, a piecemeal, really. Um, but I think it's, um, It's one of them where I imagine this won't be the the first letter directed to an individual board member because I think, like like Joe said before, you can't look at everything's situation and uh, not apply scrutiny to it and not ask who are making the decisions here. I think everybody needs to have a look at themselves and and sort of be held accountable for all that.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, like as, as Joe said, you know, when there's a distinct possibility of a first relegation in 72 years, you can't just pin it all on the on the field side of things. Uh, moving back to the, the on the field matters, uh, Joe, um, the small matter of, of Brentford, is it is it 12 games un, unbeaten now to Thomas Franks men? I mean, that's that's something for him and Sean to talk
1: about. Well, hopefully they talk about it as Deitch just ended ended the uh, the unbeaten run and Frank doesn't mind so much because they're such good mates Um, (laughs) uh, I mean, I still I don't know about you but every now and then I still catch myself daydreaming about the last time Brentford came to Goodison Park at the back end of last season and I still kind of look back on that game with such astonishment in the sense I just can't believe it happened and it unfolded in the way that it did and obviously there were a lot of contentious elements to it but just the the sight of, of Rondon yeah, Everton three-two down, down to ten men already, desperate for a goal to help them in their relegation. battle, bring Rondon on, and after after two minutes, he he, he down a play with a horrible two-footed lunge, gets sent off, and claps the fans as he as he goes as he goes. I just still can't get my head. I can't. Do you think
3: exactly. that's what Boyce Key was inspired by last weekend?
1: <laughs> well, maybe. Well, one of the things I've been thinking the last few weeks is, is the the way in which the Deitch team set up and the fact that it, it's so suited to a target man up top that all of a sudden part of me wonders if you know the decision to uh, to let Rondon go before January is actually coming back to haunt after a little bit because it probably would have been slightly better off in some of the recent games. But then I do flash back to that Brentford day and just think. What was going on? What was going on? Um, I mean, obviously, this is a Brentford site that doesn't have Christian Erickson. I mean, for all the kind of pressure and intensity of the that wasn't Evan's situation on on that day, it was a you know, it was a pleasure to be able to see someone as good as Christian Ericsson pop the ball around as well as he did. Once Evan went down to ten men, you know, he he really was exceptional. Uh, but this is going to be a very difficult game really difficult game we spoke about the forest game you know a couple of days ago in the last pod and there were a lot of positives to take from the positive from the, from the forest game before but ultimately you can't come away from it with anything other than a sense that it was two points dropped because of the extremity of evan's situation and you know i think when we get, go back a couple of pods probably this time last week was gonna these two runner games for me. i think everton needed to win one of these two with the fixtures they've got coming up and we could have done with one of the winning one of those two it would have been a massive out that they could have held on that last fifteen minutes of Forest because this isn't going to be an easy game tomorrow. They're a good side, Brentford, and you know they they're going to really challenge Everton. They're not unbeatable. I mean, they're on a good run, but they're not unbeatable. Um, But yeah, they had a, they had another good win on on Monday night and look looked pretty decent, but. I mean, just, everything are going to have to be at their best if if they, if they want to beat them, and they're going to have to be at their very best tactically. And they're also going to want to re- need to really want it as well. We have seen that from the majority of games under Deitch, but yeah, you know, there was the Derby, and then there was a second half against Arsenal, like Arsenal at Arsenal. Yeah, you know, what we can't afford is we can't afford to have forty five minutes or more to, uh, be against Brentford where Everton aren't at one hundred percent because they are a side that's good enough to punish Evan.
2: Yeah. Gav, type type of game are you expecting tomorrow? A,
0: a very tough one. I, yeah. I really like Brentford. I think last year I know Brantwick got sent off, but the 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 uh, did a, you know a a great lesson out to play against ten men. You know, don't change, just keep it patient and the gaps will appear and that that's what happens. I think they're really well balanced, got a good midfield, they got a strong show up front. But obviously I'd say power for Ke- um, probably the best coached team in the in the Premier League, and I think it's going to be a, t- a tough game for us. I, th- I think um, I think after the last ten Premier League games, only City have got more points than them, haven't they? And in the, the last twelve, I think in the last twelve, they have got two points than what we've got all season from the twenty sixth game. So you're, t- you're talking again. I mean, Brighton have had loads of applause haven't they, this season? Mm. But Brentford, they've sort of been a little bit under the radar, haven't they, really? Yeah in comparison but they're just being just as effective and I think they've only lost four games so um, oh yeah it's going to be a really tough game I'm looking forward to watching Ivan Tony because I think he's a terrific centre forward and I was just wondering with Ben me playing he's playing is, is there a, a collective now for former Bernie centre-halves <laughs> who'd be able to uh, I don't know what what would you call it a turf more of former Bernie yeah. centre-halves would you possibly Clog,
2: clogging yeah. Clio. clogging clogging yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um that would be interesting. And and of course has got a couple of goals at that Snazny, you know, thankfully for us. Um so yeah, I think it this is one of them games i look at the fixes and think, oh well, not one of the tougher ones, but actually on the day, given their twelve games unbeaten, um, it's a lot tougher than say you would have said at the start of the season, isn't it, really? Yeah. Um and I think that, that, that I think they're a far better team than Villa. And uh, I think it'll be a real, real tough match oh. for us. And we watched them the first five or ten minutes on on Monday night. They we were uh, doing, doing, doing really good. So, yeah, be, 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 similar game to the Arsenal game,
2: perhaps. Mm. Matt, um, Gav's given them the big build-up there. I mean, they, they were a the sort of team, maybe you'd fought Christian Erksson, as you said, has, has gone now. Um, the sort of team who would be... Um, Second syndrome, second season syndrome. Uh, you'd think they possibly suffered that, but it's, it's not been the case. Can can you um, can you give us any more of a positive slant than what Gav's just come up with there?
3: Um... No, I mean, they're just they're just a really good outfit, aren't they? You know, they've got... I mean, the thing now, when I was watching them on Monday, is that it was the lads they were bringing off the bench. Like, they, they signed uh, Kevin Shard, didn't they, in January. They, they had lads coming on in midfield who, who were different. They've got good depth in, in defence as well. And I think as much as Eriksson going was a big blow, it feels like they just. just one of those clubs, aren't they? Like, Brighton, they just, every sign, you you know... They make you think I've never heard of that lad but I reckon in two three years he's gonna be going somewhere for 40 50 million because because they, they very rarely get it wrong do they um yeah it, it, I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be a solid game to be honest you know I, I think just matchup wise as well they've got I think mean, that forward line is is not only lads who are really quick and you know clever and you know, like Attonian and Bueno and, and Visa, but they, they can handle the the physical battle as well, aren't they? And you think where where are think back to that Arsenal game um, where we had so much success. I think our, our centre back did really well to sort of bully that Arsenal front fours. You know as much as they're technically amazing and, and skillful, but we really got stuck into them that day. I think the Brentford forwards probably be able to handle that kind of battle a, a little bit better. Um, to be honest. So, yeah, it's it's going to be difficult. I mean, from, from Everton' point of view, i will probably play Yeri Mina to try and deal with that. Um, I, I know Michael Keane's come back into the side recently. Cody's been playing a lot. Um, and there's so much to talk about Dominic Carver-Lewin mm-hmm. and how if we can get him on the pitch, we kind of need to. I, I don't know why the shame doesn't really apply to, to Yeri at the moment. You know, I think he's still our best centre-back by all accounts he's fit and training. We probably have four other centre backs on the bench anyway. If we need to replace him, you know, we're not we're not using our five subs, are we, all the time anyway? So, I mean, yeah. I'll get him in the team somehow just for, for this kind of battle and to try and you know do a bit of a job and wind up Ivan Tony. Um, but elsewhere, I think it's just going to be a case of we're trying to trying to hang on, trying to battle and trying to to, to nick something again because they are. A better side than Everton. I think there'll be a lot of people looking at this going Brentford at home. We should be getting three points, but no, they're they're playing really well. They've got better options all over the pitch. Um, and I think Everton have to play really, really well to get anything else out of this game.
2: Okay. So we've built up Brentford to be like Brazil nineteen seventy. We said Everton got no options on the bench. Is this the point where we all say 18th place, Everton? Fewer goals than anyone else in the top six
1: divisions are now going to beat them.
2: Uh, Joe, um, what's your prediction (laughs) for tomorrow?
1: (laughs) I um, I agree with Matt on the Yerimina point. I think now that that the decision has been made to break up the Cody-Tarkovsky partnership, if that's going to be a a long-term mindset, then I don't really understand why it's not Yerimina that's there that's... Yeah, we've gone from third choice to first choice rather than Keane he's essentially gone from sixth choice under Lampard to what looks like now first choice under under Deitch which is a you know been an interesting rise uh, I do think it'll be a tough game I want to remain positive so I'm going to go for an Everton win I'm going to say 1-0 to Everton so um Everton. we go despite Gav. your build up there Yeah Gav
0: <laughs> Yeah I definitely agree about me you know? I think virtually everybody who's spoken to you this week about me, me and I said he should play uh shout out to my neighbour by the way. He said like about Rondon Don. You shouldn't have sold him or got rid of him. That he would have been ideal. You know, not ideal, but it would have been an option up front, at least for us. Um but yeah, I, I'm gonna go with that similar results to the aftergame. I don't know why, but I'm gonna say I haven't won Brentford nil, because it could be unlucky and of course, to Brentford. Of course. And um, I'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, Matt.
3: I mean, we're you a decision against these, aren't we? Like you know, Joe, Joe talking about that, this, talking about that game last year. You know, God, the, the, the memories from that day. You know, I've never been more confident to be like going into a ground that we were going to stay up, and then walking out the ground thinking we were absolutely dead and buried. It was just such a mad roller coaster. But you when know, you think about the penalty of get, I think uh, you know, the penalty he did get when the lad I think it was. Um, was it Janelt? Should have been sent off for a second yellow card. You know, it was just absolutely terrible the refereeing that day. So I'll I'll go for I'll, I'll go for a full house of one nils, and we'll win thanks to a really dodgy free kick from a Yeri Mina Heather on the way back from his uh, on the way back from his return. And Thomas Frankel kick off massively in the post match press conference, and him and dice will be made no more.
2: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we 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 can only hope. Um, yeah, um, I, I can't beat them. Join them. I'm going to say a full house. Everton one 0 wins. Other than I, I, I can't see. Everton getting another couple of goals, who knows. But yeah, we, there we go. We've built Brentford up and then knocked them down at the end there. And gone with, we're all going to go for a 1-0 Everton victory. So regardless of whether that's the scoreline or not, we'll be back with you next week to uh, view what, what happened um, when the Bees came to, to Goodison Park. I've been your host, Chris Beasley. I've been joined by Joe Thomas, Gavin Buckland and Matt Jones. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast.
0: You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.